This is day 163 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Ezekiel chapters 8 through 12. Lord Heavenly Father, as we enter into your presence, you're going to show Ezekiel all the abominations, all the sins, all the idolatry of Israel. Lord, in today's world, we're no different. We have idols. We have things that we put before you, including ourselves. Lord, may this be a testimony to our sin, and may this cause us to repent and return to you, Lord God. May we cast aside anything that holds us back from serving you fully. May you address that with us and help us to feel the filth that is in us. Lord, purify us today as we read your word. Please bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. It came about in the sixth year, on the fifth day of the sixth month, as I was sitting in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell on me there. Then I looked, and behold, a likeness as the appearance of a man. From his loins and downward there was the appearance of fire, and from his loins and upward the appearance of brightness, like the appearance of a glowing metal. He stretched out the form of a hand, and caught me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the idol of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy, was located. And behold, the glory of the Lord of Israel was there, like the appearance which I saw in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, raise your eyes now toward the north. So I raised my eyes toward the north, and behold, to the north of the altar gate was this idol of jealousy at the entrance. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing, the great abominations which the house of Israel are committing here, so that I would be far from my sanctuary? But yet you will see still greater abominations. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. He said to me, Son of man, now dig through that wall. So I dug through the wall, and behold, an entrance. And he said to me, Go in, and see the wicked abominations that they are committing here. So I entered and looked, and behold, every form of creeping things and beasts and detestable things with all the idols of the house of Israel were carved on the wall all around. Standing in front of them were seventy elders of the house of Israel, with Jeazaniah the son of Shaphan standing among them, each man with his censer in his hand and the fragrance of the cloud of incense rising. Then he said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark, each man in the room of his carved images? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Yet you will still see greater abominations which they are committing. Then he brought me to the entrance of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, women were sitting there, weeping 
for Tammuz. He said to me, Do you see this, son of man? Yet you will still see greater abominations than these. Then he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about twenty-five men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were prostrating themselves eastward toward the sun. He said to me, Do you see this, son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they have committed here, that they have filled the land with violence and provoked me repeatedly? For behold, they are putting the twig to their nose. Therefore I indeed will deal in wrath. My eye will have no pity, nor will I spare. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet I will not listen to them. Then he cried out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Draw near, O executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. Behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate which faces north, each with his shattering weapon in his hand. And among them was a certain man clothed in linen, with a writing case at his loins. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of the God of Israel went up from the cherub on which it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed in linen, at whose loins was the writing case. The Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. But to the others he said in my hearing, Go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity, and do not spare. Utterly slay old men, young men. Utterly slay old men, young men, maidens, little children, and women. But do not touch any man on whom is the mark, and you shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were before the temple. And he said to them, Defile the temple, and fill the courts with the slain, Go out. Thus they went out and struck down the people in the city. As they were striking the people, and I alone was left, I fell on my face and cried out, saying, Alas, Lord God, are you destroying the whole remnant of Israel by pouring out your wrath on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great, and the land is filled with blood, and the city is full of perversion. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. But as for me, my eye will have no pity, nor will I spare, but I will bring their conduct upon their heads. Then behold, the man clothed in linen, at whose loins was the writing case, reported, saying, I have done just as you have commanded me. Then I looked, and behold, in the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, 
something like a sapphire stone, in appearance, resembling a throne, appeared before them. And he spoke to the man clothed in linen, and said, Enter between the whirling wheels under the cherubim, and fill your hands with coals of fire from between the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. And he entered in my sight. Now the cherubim were standing on the right side of the temple when the man entered, and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple, and the temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of God. Moreover, the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. It came about when he commanded the man clothed in linen, saying, Take fire from between the whirling wheels, from between the cherubim. He entered and stood beside a wheel. Then the cherub stretched out his hand from between the cherubim to the fire, which was between the cherubim, took some and put it in the hands of the one clothed in linen, who took it and went out. The cherubim appeared to have the form of a man's hand under their wings. Then I looked, and behold, four wheels beside the cherubim, one wheel beside each cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was like the gleam of a Tarshish stone. As for their appearance, all four of them had the same likeness, as if one wheel were within another wheel. When they moved, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went, but they followed in the direction which they faced without turning as they went. Their whole body, their backs, their hands, their wings, and the wheels were full of eyes all around, the wheels belonging to all four of them. The wheels were called in my hearing the whirling wheels, and each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second face was the face of a man. The third was the face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose up. They are the living beings that I saw by the river Chabar. Now when the cherubim moved, the wheels would go beside them. Also when the cherubim lifted up their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels would not turn from beside them. When the cherubim stood still, the wheels would stand still. And when they rose up, the wheels would rise with them, for the spirit of the living beings was in them. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. These are the living beings that I saw beneath the God of Israel by the river Chabar, so I knew that they were cherubim. Each one had four faces, and each one four wings, and beneath their wings was the form of human hands. As for the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I had seen by the river Chabar. Each one went straight ahead. Moreover, 
The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house, which faced eastward. And behold, there were twenty-five men at the entrance of the gate. And among them I saw Jeazaniah, son of Azur, and Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, leaders of the people. He said to me, Son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and give evil advice in this city, who say, The time is not near to build houses. This city is the pot, and we are the flesh. Therefore prophesy against them, son of man, prophesy. Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Say, Thus says the Lord. So you think, house of Israel, for I know your thoughts. You have multiplied your slain in this city, filling its streets with them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Your slain, whom you have laid in the midst of the city, are the flesh, and this city is the pot. But I will bring you out of it. You have feared a sword, so I will bring a sword upon you, the Lord declares. And I will bring you out of the midst of the city, and deliver you into the hands of strangers, and execute judgments against you. You will fall by the sword. I will judge you to the border of Israel, so you shall know that I am the Lord. This city will not be a pot for you, nor will you be flesh in the midst of it. But I will judge you to the border of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. For you have not walked in my statutes, nor have you executed my ordinances, but have acted according to the ordinances of the nations around you. Now it came about as I prophesied that Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, died. Then I fell on my face and cried out with a loud voice and said, Alas, Lord God, will you bring the remnant of Israel to a complete end? Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, your brothers, your relatives, your fellow exiles, and the whole house of Israel, all of them, are those to whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Go far from the Lord. This land has been given us as a possession. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, Though I had removed them far away among the nations, and though I had scattered them among the countries, yet I was a sanctuary for them a little while in the countries where they had gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. When they come there, they will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations from it. And I will give them one heart, and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my ordinances, and do them. Then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. But as for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and abominations, I will bring their conduct down on their heads, declares the Lord God. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, 
and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain which is east of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God to the exiles in Chaldea. So the vision that I had seen left me. Then I told the exiles all the things that the Lord had shown me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, you live in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see, but do not see, ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Therefore, son of man, prepare for yourself baggage for exile, and go into exile by day in their sight. Even go into exile from your place to another place in their sight. Perhaps they will understand, though they are a rebellious house. Bring your baggage out by day in their sight, as baggage for exile. Then you will go out at evening in their sight, as those going into exile. Dig a hole through the wall in their sight, and go out through it. Load the baggage on your shoulder in their sight, and carry it out in the dark. You shall cover your face, so that you cannot see the land. For I have set you as a sign to the house of Israel. I did so, as I had been commanded. By day I brought out my baggage, like the baggage of an exile. Then in the evening I dug through the wall with my hands. I went out in the dark, and carried the baggage on my shoulder in their sight. In the morning the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, This burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem, as well as all the house of Israel who are in it. Say, I am a sign to you. As I have done, so it will be done to them. They will go into exile, into captivity. The prince who is among them will load his baggage on his shoulder in the dark and go out. They will dig a hole through the wall to bring it out. He will cover his face so that he cannot see the land with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him, and he will be caught in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon in the land of the Chaldeans, yet he will not see it, though he will die there. I will scatter to every wind all who are around him, his helpers and all his troops, and I will draw out a sword after them. So they will know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and spread them among the countries. But I will spare a few of them from the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, that they may tell all their abominations among the nations where they go, and may know that I am the Lord. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, eat your bread with trembling, and drink your water with quivering and anxiety. Then say to the people of the land, Thus says the Lord God concerning the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the land of Israel, They will eat their bread with anxiety, and drink their water with horror, because their land will be stripped of its fullness on account of the violence of all who live in it. 
the inhabited cities will be laid waste, and the land will be a desolation. So you will know that I am the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, what is this proverb you people have concerning the land of Israel, saying, The days are long, and every vision fails? Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I will make this proverb cease, so that they will no longer use it as a proverb in Israel. But tell them, The days draw near as well as the fulfillment of every vision. For there will be no longer any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I, the Lord, will speak, and whatever word I speak will be performed. It will not be delayed any longer. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, the house of Israel is saying, The vision that he sees is for many years from now, and he prophesies of times far off. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, None of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever word I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. So for today, we have Ezekiel going through some very interesting things and seeing some fantastical visions. So beginning in chapter 8, we saw that in the previous chapters, he had had to shave his hair and his beard and all that in order to fulfill a prophecy that the Lord was having him enact in order to illustrate what God is doing to the people. But this seems to have been much later, because it says that in the sixth year and the fifth day of the sixth month. So, since the time he cut his hair, this has been a little over a year, more or less about 14 months. So, that was enough time for him to grow some hair back, because we see that the Spirit lifted him up by his hair. But not only does he see the appearance of the Lord at this time, but then he has an out-of-body experience. Because it says that the spirit lifted him up, and yet his body remained in the land of Babylon. So this must have been an out-of-body vision of some kind. And so what God does is he takes him through a series of progressively worse idolatry in the land of Jerusalem. And it gets worse every time he takes him to a new place. So it starts off with an idol of jealousy. The idol of jealousy was something that was set up by King Manasseh, if we remember him. He's the son of King Hezekiah, the worst king that they ever had. But in the days of his grandson, Josiah, Josiah destroys it. So this must mean that sometime after Josiah destroyed it, that they restored it. And so this idol of jealousy was standing there in the middle of the city. And then he takes him to a room that is covered with animal deities and other forms of idolatry that these people were apparently worshipping. And among them was a name of a specific person. We see Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Now, we haven't seen the name Jazaniah before, but we have recently 
seen the name of Shaphan. And this person, this family, was a faithful follower of Josiah, as well as in the book of Jeremiah, that there was a, that person was faithful in the book of Jeremiah. But that goes to show that just because you're related to Shaphan doesn't mean that your entire family is going to do the right thing. So we see that this particular relative of Shaphan is an idolater, very much so. And look at how God says this here. Verse 12, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark? They're doing this in secret. Each man in the room of his carved images, for they say the Lord does not see us, the Lord has forsaken the land. That's why they think they can get away with this, because they don't think that God is there anymore. They don't think God cares. They don't think that God is even looking at them, so they can do as they please. And God is showing him that I notice, and I'm going to do something about it. Then in verse 14, it says that women were sitting weeping for Tammuz. Now again, Tammuz is a deity that has been around for a very long time. This is an ancient Babylonian deity. If we remember in the Old Testament, shortly after the flood, it has a genealogy. And in that genealogy, it mentions a man named Nimrod. And Nimrod is the one who created the Tower of Babel, as well as the original Babylon. The story goes, and this isn't in the Bible per se, but Ancient writings from that time period suggest that Nimrod was worshipped as the sun god, and he, they changed his name to Baal, and we know that name. But the way it goes is that when he died, his wife, who her name appears to be Semiramis, she convinced the nation of Babylon to worship Nimrod as the sun god. And then the story goes that the son impregnated her, which is Nimrod. And then she gave birth to a son and named him Tammuz. But yet Tammuz was not just some normal kid. The story goes is that he was in fact a reincarnation of Nimrod. And later on they have a sexual relationship and they marry each other. It's gross. It's gross and it's disgusting. But yet the imagery of the mother and the child that we see in the Vatican, for example, is not Mary and Jesus. It's actually Tammuz and Semiramis. There's a lot of pagan monuments, pagan altars in the Vatican, for example, that were just renamed to make it fit into the Christian narrative. So it's disgusting. But this is the Tammuz that they worship. He is supposed to be the god of the underworld, and yet he's also the sun god, and he was also some kind of vegetation deity because he is related to Baal. And Baal was the one that was in charge of fertility. So, very disgusting immorality here. And then when you go into verse 16, it talks about sun worship, but it's almost the same thing because, again, Tammuz and Baal are the sun god, in, in essence. So this is just an extension of that, really. So God has seen all this, and he is disgusted by what he's seen. 
And this is his reasoning and his case as for why he is going to do what he's going to do to this nation. That takes us into chapter 9. We see that he calls some angels who have different weapons in their hands, and he tells them to destroy people who don't have a specific mark on them. Now that mark is interesting because in the Hebrew alphabet, it is called a tau. It is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And there is no coincidence with God, right? It is, at the time, written in the form of a cross. Can you believe that? That letter of the Hebrew alphabet at that time was written like a cross. So the people who were marked with a cross were spared from this. Don't you see the similarities to this? Isn't, isn't it very clear what he's trying to illustrate here? The ones that are saved by the blood of the cross are the ones that will be spared, the ones that were chosen by God for salvation. Even in this time period, that was the case. And you know who was left after they did all the destroying? There's only one man left, and he wasn't even physically there, and that was Ezekiel. He was the only one left, as we see in verse 8, as they were striking the people, and I alone was left. That is terrible, isn't it? That's why I think, and I, I, I stand with this, that God destroys other nations and empires and groups when there is no righteousness left. When all goodness has been removed from it, then he takes action. Look at, it's consistent with everything that he's done throughout the Old Testament. Consider the world before the flood. Consider Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Consider the northern kingdom of Israel before it was conquered. And now consider the southern kingdom of Judah, why it took the God this long to respond to Judah because there was no one left who cared about him. And so he took action, and he did what he needed to do to satisfy his wrath and his justice. Ezekiel was very upset about this, as he should be. He's like, alas, Lord God, are you destroying the whole remnant of Israel? Are you going to utterly wipe us out and leave no one left? but he says that he will spare people. He's not going to spare those who are conducting evil, but later on he's going to say that he will always preserve a remnant. He always does. That is consistent with the narrative of the Bible. Chapter 10 is an illustration of Jerusalem burning to the ground. But not only that, but it also shows that the glory of God is going to be leaving it that symbolically God has decided that he is no longer going to place his name in Jerusalem. He is going to allow it to be wiped out. That's pretty serious. When God, being in a covenant relationship with Israel, is willing to walk away and divorce them. He doesn't utterly abandon them. We know this. But he is so angry with them that he is going to hide his face from them. He is so disgusted with them, it almost as if he is willing to divorce them. 
That is incredible how far gone they are. In this chapter as well, we also see more descriptions of the cherubim, and they are freaky looking. And the more I look at this, the more I'm convinced that these eyes that they're covered with are constant. Because I was reading the book of Revelation with my kids yesterday, and it had the same description of them. And they're always covered with eyes. So just trying to look at that literally is freaky. Trying to imagine what they looked like is frightening. And the way that they move is also very interesting as well. In chapter 11, the Lord is showing Ezekiel more things about the wicked people that are in leadership over here, as well as the final departure of his glory from Jerusalem. So that's a very sad time, and Ezekiel is obviously very upset by this. But again, he reminds Ezekiel why he's doing this. In verse 12, Thus you will know that I am the Lord, for you have not walked in my statutes, nor have you executed my ordinances, but have acted according to the ordinances of the nations around you. This is why this is going on. So don't be surprised by it. I have been merciful with you for so many generations, but now there is no one left who is righteous. But perhaps the most important thing that we will read today in this body of Scripture is here in verse 18. This is not only going to describe the heart of the people who will return from exile to Israel, but this is a description of us. This is a description of those who are saved by grace. Read what it says. It is a progression of how you reach from point A to point B. We start this with knowing that we are in complete depravity. We are not capable of loving God or worshiping Him in our natural state. So with that in mind, if we read verse 18, notice the progression here. When they come here, they will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations from it. So in the same way that when we accept the salvation of God, we will cast aside the things in our lives that were previously familiar to us, but will be forsaken for the sake of the gospel. Our old ways need to be forgotten and removed. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit into them. This is interesting because we know that at the moment of salvation, through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit creates a, us as a new creature, and then he indwells us. And through his indwelling spirit, we see Christ for who he is, and we have no other choice but to accept him. Because why would we not? Several hundred years ago, there was a man named John Calvin, who was a very godly man, and he came up with the five points of Calvinism. And one of those, which is the acronym TULIP, is the letter I, which is irresistible grace. The Lord's call to salvation cannot be denied. If he calls you to be saved, you can't just say, no thanks, I'll pass. He will save you against your will. I say that as somebody who has experienced that firsthand in 2017. If you read, heard my testimony, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I believe that was my true day of salvation. And when that happened, I wasn't asking for it. I didn't tell God to do it. 
but I saw God for what he really was when he transformed me from the inside, and I happily accepted him. So it's the same way for those who are truly saved by grace. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That is that ability to do things that normal humans can't. Loving God, loving your enemies, acting with mercy, acting sacrificially in love. All those things that are foreign to this world. That is what he gives us when he gives us that heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. What's important is we need to know what God's laws are. That's why we're reading the Bible. We need to know what God expects from us. But beyond that, we have to obey them. We have to know what it is, and then we need to obey them. And you're never going to know what God wants from you unless you read the Word of God. So why would we pretend to be Christians and yet we never crack open our Bible? We'll never learn who God is by our own will. We'll never know just by going to church on Sunday. He won't reveal who he is until you look at who he is in the Bible, because that's where he wants to be revealed. That's where he has chosen for him his will to be revealed. We have to read his word, and then we have to do it. Not just keep a head knowledge of what it is, but actually perform the things he's telling us to do. And then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. By doing those things, you will have identified yourself to the world who you really stand for. And until you do that, you look like you belong to a different allegiance, and it's not me. You look like you belong to the world, and you don't want to blend into the world. You want to stand out, because then... The gospel will be effective. The whole point of this is for people to know who Jesus Christ is. It's not about you. At the moment you got saved, it stopped being about you. It is about what God wants from you, within you, and through you. What is the alternative? Verse 21, But as for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and abominations, I will bring their conduct down on their heads. If you forsake the Lord, you will get what's coming to you, one way or another. Even if it's not going to be in this life, it will be in the next one. So let that be a lesson to all. Chapter 12 is where he's back in his body. He's already told the people that are around him what he experienced. And now he is going to do another sign. And this is the sign of the baggage. So he's going to be packing up like a rucksack with the bare necessities. You can imagine like you see on the old TV shows, you know, got a long stick with a little handkerchief tied at the end. You got some bare necessities in there. That's kind of the idea. So he's going to get a sack and put some stuff in it. And then he's going to carry it over his shoulder and walk out. And then he's also going to crawl through holes in the walls, and do this in the morning, do this in the evening. And all this is to illustrate what the land did at the time of the exile. And not only is it just an illustration of Israel in general, but it's also illustrating the plight of particular people, such as King Zedekiah. 
which we saw tried to creep out in the middle of the night through holes in the wall, and then he got captured. And it talks specifically about him not being able to see, and yet he will go into the land and die there. That's exactly what Zedekiah went through, remember? It showed that when he got caught, they killed his family in front of him, then they took his eyes out, and then he went to the land of Babylon. It's prophesying exactly what Zedekiah is going to go through. Then God tells Ezekiel to eat his bread with trembling and to drink his water with anxiety. Why? He was warning them of the future captivity. Because everything that Ezekiel has prophesied has not actually happened yet, they become skeptical. They think, oh, you know, this isn't going to happen for a long time. He's talking about something that's way in the future, so we have nothing to worry about. But then God says, no, I, the Lord, will speak. You see in verse 25, I, the Lord, will speak, and whatever word I speak will be performed. It will no longer be delayed. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it. He's telling them, you think this is going to happen far from now. It's not. It's coming soon. And it's going to happen within your lifetime. Get ready. And so a lot of people did not believe what Ezekiel was saying because it hadn't actually happened yet. But that's the same thing Isaiah went through, the same thing Jeremiah went through. It's the same thing. They don't believe the prophets. They ridicule them because they speak the Lord of the Lord. That would be discouraging for about anybody, right? But guess what? In today's world, we are the prophets. We're not like prophets back then. But what is a prophet, really? A prophet is someone who speaks the word of God in truth to people. And that's what we do. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to speak the word of God in truth to all people. That's how we go make disciples of all nations. That's why we read the word of God and we share exactly what it says. Not try to twist the meaning to make it more convenient for us, but we say exactly what it says. People need to know the truth. And we are the hands and the mouthpiece of the gospel. God doesn't need us, but he has chosen to use us in this way. And so we need to take our job very seriously. This is your real reason for living. And that's all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.